Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No. No, sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. <laughs> sibling rivalry. That's good. This episode, this human that you are about to listen to, is Doctor Edith Eager and her daughters, but specifically Edith. What an amazing conversation. What an incredible woman. This is definitely in my top five episodes that we have done out of the hundred. It was by far yeah. one of the most powerful. It was very powerful and incredible. Um, she is a Holocaust survivor. She's a psychologist. She's an author. Um, her daughters were incredible. She invited me over to Ikogel, which I wish that I could have gone and i, I kind of still want to go you know where is she again she's in san diego she's south That's right we yeah she's here I, I think we should take her up on this because she's yes she's a fucking legend she's she incredible really she's like in her 90s and just on point right there um her daughter is marianne engel and audrey thompson yeah and and, and she shared with us you know about her time in the concentration camp and how she was able to get through it. And then what it was like on the other side, even after most of her family was gone. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And then she talks about sort of part of her book, too, is, is how grief and trauma can just be passed down through these generations. And 
you know, I, I understand that obviously not to the capacity that, that she's been through in her family, but that shit does get passed down. You know what I mean? We have to break the cycles. Um, and how she sort of found humor in these horrible situations. And it was an incredible conversation. She's she's like famous, by the way. My uh, Bodhi was talking about her the other day because they're learning about her at school. And I was like, oh, really? yeah, I was like, dude, she was on my podcast. He's like, what? And then I turn on KCET, which is sort of a public station here. And there's a whole like documentary on her and she's talking about her time in, in the concentration camps and how she was dancing for the, the angel of death. You know what I mean? Like she has the craziest fucking stories and, it's and she's so crazy. incredible. It's, 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 you guys are going to love it. It's unbelievable. It's really, you're going to enjoy this conversation. It's such a beautiful one. And uh, here is Dr. Edith Eager and her daughters. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, this is so wonderful. So Marianne, you're yes. in terms of all of the children, how many kids are there? So my mother has my mother has three children. Okay. I'm the one who was born in Europe. Right. When she was very rich. And, and my father. And uh, then they uh, were forced out by the communists. We came to to uh, Baltimore. And I wished, I kept telling my parents I wanted a baby sister. So they finally gave me one. Mm. That's all three. And then we moved to El Paso, Texas. And we had they had a son, who's our, our brother, John. John. Okay, great. So we're, we got lucky, Oliver, because Audrey's visiting um, oh. Edith. Oh, wow. And yeah, and so she's there. And I thought that's really interesting because we're going to, well, I mean, we'll get into all of this, but... Um, Audrey was sort of saying second generation, um, you know, from a Holocaust survivor and everything that, you know, has come with that is fascinating. Oh, Um, my God. I know. I read the Atlantic article and uh, there's so much to get into and talk about, but just the resilience and sort of how that the psychology that you use to just live your life. It's just so poignant and just incredible. I mean, it's inspiring, really. Yeah, I mean, really, it's such an such a powerful story. And you know, we usually do siblings, um, so it's really nice to have the a mother daughter trio. Let's start with your story. I mean, you know, without getting into too much detail, where you were born? Nine twenty nine, twenty seven. Um, in Czechoslovakia, and I, uh, I know that uh, my parents were expecting a son after two girls, so I did feel somehow that uh, um, I came and they didn't get what I they were looking for. My mother, that I remember very quickly, to let you know that my mother told me. I was about nine years old, and she said, I'm so glad you have brains because you have no looks. <laughs> and uh, so I had two very beautiful sisters, and I always felt that I just uh, I just never be uh, attractive or even uh, any boys look at me. So I became a scholar. I did what my mother told me to study, to study, to go to school. 
And I attended a very, very good school only for girls. And you had to pass a test when you were 10 years old. And I did make the grade. And uh, I, uh, I was in a girls' school. But then the wars, war started, you know, and I was uh, home studying. And, and I met the boyfriend, and the two of us became very Zionistic. And we wanted to go to Palestine and fight. Uh, we, were, <laughs> we were not so peaceful at all. Unfortunately, he was killed a day before liberation, so I never, never saw him um, when I came back. Um, I think I like to tell you that, especially with uh, children of immigrants, are parentized that they become the parents to their parents. Because I didn't know anything about peanut butter or tuna fish or anything that you know American children ate. Um, so Marianne made me buy peanut butter and Jiffy. <laughs> I remember looking for Jiffy peanut butter. You yeah. may not remember, but Marian became the family when we had a problem. We always went to Marian because she was the American child who knew everything. Right, she was more uh, start more um, understood kind of American culture. Because how old were how old were you when you came to America, Marianne? I mean, I knew. Um, so if I can just fill in my mother's story also, mm -hmm. she's, she's t not telling you that she, um, was both a dancer and a ballerina and that she was on an Olympic qualifying team and, um, that, um, that was all taken away from her when the communists, when the, uh, sorry, the, the wrong ones, yeah. the, not the Nazis. Came. And, and, but it turned out to be actually the thing that saved her when she got to Auschwitz. How, how so? So basically when she and her family got taken in, um, Mengele, um, my mother wanted to go with her mother and Mengele asked my mother, is this your mother or your sister? My mother and see my mother so young looking. Her mother was also very young looking and she was in her early 40s. And my mother didn't know what to say. So she finally said, it's my mother. And he put her on a, the left line. And my mother went to be with her. And Mengele took my mother and said, no, you'll see her soon and put her in the right line. And then that night, after they were taken in, um, he came to the... Uh, cabin where they kept her group and said, I want to be entertained. We can entertain me. And uh, my mother's, one of my mother's teachers was there also. She'd also been taken. And um, she and all the girls pointed to my mother and said, she'll entertain you. She'll entertain you. So my mother then danced um, for Mingo. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie, um, Playing for Time. It's actually a wonderful movie. Um, anyway, it's about the the orchestra that was in Auschwitz. Um, and so, you know, they, they I don't know, they're playing. My mother did her dance. And he then gave her some food that she shared with the other girls. And um, 
So she, she was known for, for that. And who knows, that's what kept her alive so long, but it did. How old was uh, Edith? How old were you at the time when you, when you were taken? 16. And you were in Hungary, correct? Yes, she was in Hungary. So, Born in Czechoslovakia. So, well, it's now I think it's Hungary. Became Hungary. Like, so it had been Hungary. It became, it went into Czechoslovakia and then it went back to being Hungary. Okay, got it. Little mm. history lesson for me. <laughs> and then she, uh, so she met my father after the war. He was engaged to another woman. He fell in love with her. Um, he is from one of the richest families and most po- politically powerful families. And they wanted my mother, they wanted my father to be um, a minister of agriculture. And, but he had to become a communist and he said he wouldn't. So then they tried to kill him and they escaped. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait, this is going too nothing. fast. This is going I, way no, too fast. No, it's quite a story. What wow. an amazing it's quite story. A story. Well, let's, I want to start, I want to start with, with something because, you know, is, is this, how difficult, I know you've been so open about it, uh, you know, and the, the, both of you, the, the family, um, Edith, but how, how difficult is it for you to always, to, to talk about your time during the Holocaust and, in your story, there's a story where, you know, a, a soldier, an American soldier saw you and gave you M&Ms. I would think that that every time you'd see M&Ms, it would just bring all of that back. Like, mm-hmm. is this something that is with you every day of your life? Is this something that's hard or difficult to talk about? I didn't talk about almost 20 years. I, uh, I went underground. I wouldn't do that today. I think I owe it to my parents that they didn't die in vain. Uh, It is my duty. Uh, It's not that I like it or not. I owe it to my mother, especially because in the Kedar car, she told me things that I quote today when I go to schools. And she asked me to come and sit with her. And then she said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. Mm. I'm sure your mother told you the same thing. Correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I remember. Uh, For me to forgive myself that I said it's my mother and not uh, my sister um, was haunting me years after years after years. Um, I'm, I'm g- getting better. When I graduated with honors uh, at the University in Texas, I did not show up for my graduation because I didn't think I deserved it. I, I had tremendous survivor's guilt. I don't know if there is anything that touches you in terms of survivor's guilt. I don't know any of you or, or your brother has anything similar. I don't know. <clears throat> what, was the, what was the turning point for you after the 20 years of just trying to sort of keep quiet and maybe pushing it under the rug? What, what was the moment where you I, finally said, okay? I became very interested in PTSD um, and I began to work with battered wives. Um, the husband you know, beats her up, she leaves, and then she comes back because he calls her, I miss you, I love you, I, you know, um, 
but he also brainwashes her that she's nothing without him. You know, you get these double messages because she has no profession, she doesn't know, so she goes back. And so anyway, I was invited to the university and the professor said that I am also a survivor. And uh, and uh, by the way, I'm not a survivor of Auschwitz. I'm a human being who went through an experience. Mm. It's, it's not, my, not my identity. Uh, anyway, he said, how many of you know about Auschwitz and maybe four hands went up um, of hundred some people and I decided I I don't have to like it it's my duty and uh, and um, what happened one night at the university someone handed me a book called Man's Search for Meaning I went home I opened the book I read every page of it, and I called, and I wrote a letter to Viktor Frankl, and he told me to meet him in San Diego. He was a professor at the university, an international university, and he became my mentor. And I think uh, also for many years, people asked me to write a book, write a book. And I would say automatically, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. But Philip Zimbardo called me one morning and said, you know, Edie, the people who survived and famous are all men. Victor Frankl, Ali Wiesel, and, and uh, we need a female voice. <laughs> so, the, the, so the choice is a female voice of Victor Frankl. And I became a logo therapist, and logo means meaning in life, existential. Mm. Wow. So I, I actually, following up on that, I, I just have a, a question about the psychology of, of the human being. And when you are put yes. into a situation like this, where you don't know what's happening, and then you realize the horrors of where you're going, do we as humans just have a survival aspect to us because someone like myself or Kate can't imagine being in a situation like this. Does something take over in the human brain to where now we just have to survive and do anything we can? And did you see some people who were much stronger than others, some who just wilted and said, I can't deal with it. And others who, who stood up and actually became real survivors. I, I had a girl with me, and she loved her country, Yugoslavia, and I loved my country, Hungary. And she told me we're going to be liberated by Christmas. And she waited and waited for Christmas. And Christmas came and went, and she died. Mm. So that kind of a mentality was not very healthy. You had to be flexible, not rigid. And um, I think it's very important today for people to also acknowledge that it's your attitude that you take. And I know I was told every day that the only way I will get out of here is a corpse. And I said to myself, that's what you say. I know this is temporary. I don't like it, and I'm going to survive it. And... and uh, and 
I today talk about being for something rather than being against something. Because if I would still fight and hate, I would still be a prisoner. There is one thing we cannot change is the past. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Oliver and I are actually Hungarian Jew. Our mom is Hungarian Jew. So my our, my grandmother came from Hungary. Hungarian women are not smart. <laughs> I, you had a very wise, yes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> they don't just jump into that water. They're going to test everything out. They're going to go to a store and they want to know uh, what is this made of? Are you going to have it for sale? They drive a salesperson nutty. <laughs> actually not wrong. That's so funny. It's actually really amazing to talk to you about this because I've never spoken to anyone directly in our family that was, you know, in the in the war. And my first question is, is, when you were taken, I mean, what was the process of like, well, how did this happen for you? Was it just one day you were pulled from your house or what, what actually happened? What actually happened that it was in March, 1944 and we had Passover dinner and my father got up after and kissed us on the head. And then we went to sleep and a couple hours later, there was a banging on the door, and they took us to a factory in my town. It was called Kasha. Now it's called Kosice. It's part of the Slovak Republic. And, uh, and we never knew about Auschwitz at all and never heard about it. But uh, when we arrived, I saw the sign, our white mocked fry, Work makes you free. And my father said, it's not so bad. We're just going to work and then we go home. Uh, that's not what happened because they separated us. Everybody over 40, under 14, every young mother with a child, they had to be separated in a place. And, uh, and that's how I ended up with Magda and my mother in the middle the way I found out that Clara was alive and well, when we came home on the top of a train from Vienna to Prague, so I, we got off the train, and I saw advertisement of my sister that she's giving a concert. Her professor smuggled her out. She was already in a camp and took her home. And... Uh, and that's how she survived. I, I must ask you uh, to really think about also the people we, that we call righteous Gentiles. There was a woman in Germany uh, dying, and they asked her, how come that she risked her life saving Jewish lives? And her answer was, my father told me that that's the right thing to do. So don't think that all Germans were Nazis. Uh, that's not true at all. Uh, the 12 years of, of uh, the Nazis, um, it's something that it's not in every German person. So, so, so you're both, all three sisters survived, and you lost both of your parents? So Mag Magda, Magda and I survived, 
and we had one pair of shoes. And so if somebody went out, the two of us stayed in bed. Uh, my, un- my aunt sent us packages at Crisco, and we didn't know what to do with this <laughs> thing, this white thing. And we had a, we had a tea, and uh, we made maybe a hundred teas out of one bag. And uh, so those were the days I became quite ill. And I went from hospital to hospital, and Clara became my mother. She decided that she's going to take care of me and introduce me to other people, my little one. So when we went to the airport and I wanted to talk to the agent, she pushed me aside. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to need a little clarification on this. Is Clara your older sister or younger sister? Middle. 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 Okay, so and you and you're the old you're the youngest or oldest. She was the after the war when when you guys all met. So you found your sister out I I I discovered that she's alive in Prague. The way I found my sister was on a billboard in Prague Hmm. that she is giving a concert. Wow. Oh oh my god. She waited for us in our hometown. And she was the breadwinner. She played the violin for the radio and wherever. She she became really my mom. And she took me to the hospitals. And, and um, How long had it been since you had seen each other? Probably about a Magda, year. A year. Magda is alive. <laughs> my sister Magda is alive. She was 100. In January, wow. and she tell you that she's ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> that was like our grandma. She lied about she, we. She lied about her age all the time. Yeah, we think we thought she was eighty. Who knows what age she actually was? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I have a, I have a question just about when you are in line and you're about to sort of get on these trains. Were you separated from your parents at that moment? And was that the last time that you saw them? They separated the men and the women first. Right. And then they separated all the women into two groups, the ones they were going to keep and the ones they were going to kill. Okay. And the men we don't know about because she never saw her father again. So once that separation was happening, did you have... Did you have hope that you would see your parents again? Because obviously you didn't know what was going on or, or did you, or did you, were you resigned to the fact that, oh, this is it. I'm never going to see my parents again. I followed my mother when I unfortunately said that she's my mother, not my sister. And Mangala came after me. I never forget those eyes. And he said to me, you're going to see your mother very soon. She's just going to take a shower. So when I was at the other side, I asked the woman who interviewed me, when will I see my mother? She pointed at the chimney. Oh, my God. And she said, your mother is burning there. You better talk about her in past tense. I never forget that. But Magda came and hugged me, and she said, the spirit never dies. That was so helpful. That's how I entered Auschwitz. Oh, my God. Wow. 
Wow. So Magda, <laughs> let me continue because uh, that's funny. Magda was always the beautiful one in the family. So we were completely naked. And she asked me a good Hungarian question. How do I look? <laughs> and so, so I had a choice then, as you have a choice now, whether I would concentrate on what she lost. or So I looked at her and I said, Magda, you have such beautiful eyes. And I did see it when you had your hair all over the place. <laughs> so today I tell people, if you want to say anything, Ask yourself whether it is important, whether it's necessary, but most of all, is it kind? And if it's not kind, don't say it. And and it's working. People really think about their thinking before they say anything, because criticism not helping anyone, so they get rid of the yes but and exchange it, yes and. Oh, gosh, Coors Light. Oh, I was just having this moment, Oliver, today about when we're going to tap the Rockies. Growing up in Colorado, I was tapping the Rockies. I've been tapping, I've been tapping the Rockies for over 20 years. Let's just say that. We're, I'm actually headed to Colorado here pretty soon. It's my favorite time to drink my Coors Light. Not that I don't drink it in Los Angeles, but in Colorado, it's the fishing, it's the mountain biking, you know, you keep a cooler in the back of your truck, you go on an amazing ride and you come back and then you sit on your tailgate and then you crack open your ice cold Coors Light. Once those mountains get blue, you know it's for you. You know what I'm saying? It does really embody that Colorado spirit of like, there is time to just chill and like have fun, chill out. <laughs> it's the only beer that is literally made to chill. That's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and the cans, of course, as we know, they turn blue. You get excited when they turn blue. That's what you always know when it's actually time to chill. Crack open that Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. It's cold filtered, cold lagered, cold packaged. It's just cold. It's cold everything. It's made to chill. As I said, it's crisp, refreshing. And it's from the Colorado Rockies. It's from the Colorado Rockies. That alone just sounds amazing. So when you choose to chill, pair your plans with an ice-cold Coors Light. Get Coors Light delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart by going to CoorsLight.com slash Hudson. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ollie, we have both used this sponsor and continue to use the sponsor. Sakara. What is Sakara? It's a flexible signature nutrition program. It makes it easy to plan nourishing, feel-good meals around your busy spring schedule. Sakara is our longest-running sponsor, and for a reason, because we love them and they love us. It's a symbiotic relationship, and it definitely helps me out. I need to get back on my Sakara to be straight up right now. Weekends have been a little bit rough. Here's what it is. Sakara is ready-to-eat delivery meals, plant-rich, that help you look and feel your best. They help you with your weight, they ease your bloating, keep your energy levels up, and it's all science-backed. It's nutritionally designed, science-backed meals that will actually have you looking forward to eating and yummy. They're very good, extremely, extremely delicious. You can sign up for breakfast, lunch, 
dinner, you choose your dinners, customize even more when you subscribe. So like when you subscribe, options are endless. It's springtime. We're moving into summer. Okay. And now it's, let's get healthy for the summer. Why not? So Sakara brings you expertly designed organic nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. They're science-backed, ready-to-eat meals, deliver results you can see and feel from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash sibling or enter code sibling at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash sibling to get 20% off your first order at sakara.com slash sibling. So this is kind of a, this is, I just feel like, was there, when you were there, was there a game to be played? Meaning, did you have to be manipulative in the sense of fighting for survival as far as with the guards, you know, being cunning, being manipulative, making a friendship maybe when you don't really want to? Was that part of survival? Uh, They took our blood. Regularly, they took our blood, and I asked, uh, why are you taking my blood? By the way, I love your tone of voice. You're such a man's man voice. No. I love it. Thank you. Anyway. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love this. I was told that uh, he's taking. I'm blushing. She's flirting with me. Were you talking about Oliver? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Edith. (laughs) (laughs) So he said to me, I'm taking your blood to aid the German soldiers so we can we can uh, win the war and take over the world, especially America. Okay, I couldn't yank my arm away. Maybe I wouldn't be here telling you. But I said to myself, you stupid idiot, you're going to win the war with my blood? I'm a ballerina. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I learned. I learned how helpless I was to change the outer environment. I had to change my attitude and never, ever give up hope. And uh, so I think it was very important to make a decision that no matter what, this is temporary and I'm going to survive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> wow. And, and and one I got one more sort of odd question. How did humor did humor play in to your world? Oh yeah. Okay, because yes. I'd love to talk we, about that because we I just even think had a boob contest. Guess guess who won? Who? You. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that for a second. No, I, no, let's not go. Audrey, oh. no. <laughs> but, but you know, talk about the power of humor. I mean, I, I, it, it's a very, it's a, it, it can be a very sort of, um, it can be a medicine in a sense. I mean. Yes, uh, but you, you have to have uh, cynicism and sarcasm mm-hmm. and philosophical humor was better but I know that we talked about how Hitler is going to die. And, and uh, I think we had each other. So we had to have cooperation, not competition or domination. Because all we had was each other then. And all we have is each other now. 
I live in a present. I can only touch you now. I want you to know that there were three sisters. The middle one either chose the old one and they ended up doing uh, things with me or the middle one chose me against the oldest mm-hmm. one. There were two against one all the time. Yeah. Mom, tell them about how you heard how much papa had to put yes, in and yes. all that. Uh, we were always cooking. We were always cooking in a camp, and we were fighting how much paprika I put in my Hungarian goulash, and we were constantly talking about nothing but food, nothing but food, and of course the the Hungarian chicken paprika, the strudel um, Hungarian uh, food comes from uh, Austria. And uh, so food, food we talked about all the time. We were always hungry for affection, attention. And I, and I think it was very important for us to cooperate and form a human family. Mm. So wait, was food a part? Food was part of the experience. You were able to have in- ingredients to actually, you know, make your food. No, 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 no. No, they would talk about it. They're saying, no, not at all. They were saying that that just talking about food and how remembering kind of laughing about how much paprika (laughs) she put in her goulash was like, Mm -hmm. also probably brings, when you look back on that time, that food is such a huge part of how we connect as a family and and what brings us together. Um, My mother has two books. And the second book is The Gift. And there's a new version yeah. of it. And we put two new chapters in that. One is living through COVID. And the other one is about food and love, and um, which I wrote. And um, um, so we have 17 recipes in there. And also the discussion about when they were so hungry, what these women talked about at night was they were arguing about how they would make food if they could. Um, Mm. yeah, um, I, I don't know how many of them became good cooks, but my mother certainly has become a wonderful cook (laughs) and her mother never let her cook. Um, and my father's cook didn't let her cook. So it wasn't until she came to America that she learned how to cook. When did you, when were, Marianne, when were you aware? When, when did you find out about, about mom's past? How old were you? So I was about 12. And um, I, I was I was a reader, um, and I read all the books in the children's library, whatever. And my parents were readers, and and so one day I went into one of the places where there were books, and there was a book in the back, and I thought, hmm, well, maybe it's about sex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> pull it out, and instead there are these horrible, disgusting pictures of dead people. Of, and I took it to my father and I said, what is this? And he said, this is, this is Auschwitz. And I said, was mom there? And he said, yes. Why did you ask that question? Because I, you know, my father was very protective with my mother. And we all loved her so much, but you didn't want to hurt her. And you could see that there were some things that frightened her, um, like uh, police car noises. And so 
and 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 we grew up without grandparents, so we knew that the parents were dead. Um, and so um, I don't know. I think I just started put started putting it together. And I have to say that now that we've moved, uh, so we live in New York a lot of the year, and then we go back to California for um, summer and stuff like that. And being in New York, there are, there are a lot of children of Holocaust survivors. And the stories that I hear from them are that their lives were full of Holocaust talk. And it was about what, what they lost and what would have happened if. And, and I didn't have to carry that with me from childhood, really. And, and I, so I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I didn't know, but I didn't know totally. I want to tell you that when Marianne was about six years old, she would say to us, everybody has a sister. I want a sister. So when the two of us made $60 a week, we decided I'm going to get pregnant. And then sure enough, I, my husband is working for a CPA who was a dog and didn't allow my husband to come and help me to go to the hospital. So I drove myself to the hospital in 1954 in a Lutheran hospital, and they put me in a crib, you know. And then the next thing I knew, I woke up in a room, and the nurse came in, and I said, uh, how long do I need to suffer? I thought you have to suffer. Uh, anyway, they knocked me out soon enough. But uh, she said, you had a little girl four hours ago. And I said, that's America, you know, because in Europe, they don't give you anything. And um, Marianne was born at home because my late husband in inherited the family business. So we were very wealthy, which we lost everything when the communists came and we fled. So that's, that's where Audrey came, the little girl, <laughs> and Marianne became the little mother. So she had two mothers. What's your, what's your age difference, Audrey and Marianne? Seven years. Seven years. Amazing. And then John is the baby? Two and a half years. But so, John was born with cerebral palsy. He was a child with special need. And my... My son John is a child with special needs, and uh, he he does go to Washington and fights for the people who have difficulties. Yeah, he has difficulties with his eyes. He's kind of blind and wears a, a stick um, when he goes out, and he's very committed to make the city available. Amazing. for people who have special needs. So he's for something. He's uh, fighting for the disabled. Uh, he's married to Lourdes, who is a wonderful, wonderful girl. And she wants to learn how to cook Hungarian food. Mm. So. <laughs> Perfect. Well, as according to your daughters, you're obviously very good at cooking Hungarian. Mom, mom rocks some Hungarian dishes, Ollie. Yeah. Well, well that mom, paprika, I mean, the, the, uh, just alone, chicken she paprika. She just puts it in everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, we have paprika and cake and cereals. I, it's just everywhere. 
Mom's <laughs> like, like, you I, know what this needs? Like- a little paprika. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell something about your mom and the movies that she was in. I remember when she was uh, uh, in the military. Oh, Private, Private Benjamin. Private Benjamin. Yes, that one. Yeah. That was, I think, the first time that I saw her. She's quite a wonderful Renaissance woman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? oh, so yes. I always say, Love is not what you feel, is what you do. And uh, I think that's important uh, that you are and your mother doing many, many things, improving the relationship in a family. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I love that. You know, it's funny that my mom says that all the time, you know. I, 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 you have a different twist on it. Love is not what you feel. It's what you do is that's what my mom, my mom says about yourself. You know, you're not, you aren't what you do. You're what you give and how you give. Um, you know, I also, I also love just what your mother said to you in the cattle car, which is a universal (laughs) psychological sort of thought that you need to go through to have a happy life for the rest of your life, which is basically, you know, they can take, they can, they can take everything away from you, but they can't take away that you perceive things. They can't take away your thoughts. My mother would have made it if she would have been let come to the other side because my teacher from the Jewish school was the first one to get up. She was exercising. She, you know, she made it. Mm. She made it because there was no other way. Uh, she was an amazing role model to us, not to wait for anything to come. There was nothing from the outside, nothing but the gas chamber, four o'clock in the morning. We didn't know if you're going to end up there. When we took a shower, we didn't know whether water is going to come out or gas. And I think this is the hardest place to be when you don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. next. Mm-hmm. Mm. God. <clears throat> no, I know. I wonder, the- you know, Edith, when you know you 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 then dedicated your life to helping people. I mean, to becoming you became a psychologist. What when did this? You know, you met your ex husband. You moved. You had a very wealthy life, and then again, it hit you again. You had to then leave this life and and flee communism. You came to America. Did you come to America with nothing? We came to America, and I didn't have six dollars to get off the boat. So uh, the Red Cross gave it to me, and I ended up working in a factory, getting seven cents per dozen. So I worked as fast as I could, so I wouldn't have to lose any time. But finally, I had to go to the bathroom. And I, when I went to the bathroom in 1949 in Baltimore, one of them said, Colin, and guess what? I always went to the colored bathroom and I realized that there is prejudice. There is prejudice in America. And I joined the NAACP. I marched with Martin Luther King. I was in Birmingham. Uh, as your mother is right. Love is not what you feel, is what you do. And uh, in 1962 or three, I don't remember, I was in Baltimore. And there was a a woman with two men called the Mamas and the Papas. And we were singing, We Shall Overcome, that 
I, you you can't remember because you're too young for that. But maybe your mom would. I know uh, it. I know it. We know it. <laughs> wow! Inc- what an incredible life! Incredible. Oh my um, lord! Jeez. So Baltimore. So you did you? My husband's brother lived there. My husband's brother was a very famous lawyer in Czechoslovakia, and one day uh, he lost his glasses, and uh, he was reaching for his glass, and somebody hit him and called him a dirty Jew. So he came to America, and he became a fuller brush man. He was the most bitter person. And I told him that my husband is going to go to school. And, uh, and then I became pregnant, and he told me how dare to even think about it, becoming pregnant. He was so bitter, so bitter. He, he died of a heart attack. And um, so we came to America, and he thought we're going to bring out the eager fortune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a real big disappointment to him. But uh, I went to work. I went to school. I sent my husband to school, and he became a CPA. Does the does the eager fortune still exist today? Uh, we went back, and they told us that we can take over the home. The home is a monastery that covers the whole block. Uh, but we had to give up our American uh, a passport mm. and and so we, we didn't do that. Wait, hold on. I want to get this straight. So you had to flee communism and they said, yes, you can have your fortune back, but you have to now give up. Revoke your American citizenship. Citizen, pretty much. Revoke your American citizenship where you were able to have a safe haven in order to get that back. The story... The story is when the communists came, they wanted to take over, they were there to take over the business. And my husband started to call them Nazis and they threw him in jail. And I am a survivor. I don't say why me, I say what now? I took my big diamond ring, I went to the jail, I gave it to the warden, I cut my husband and we left overnight. And we ended up in Vienna at uh, the Rothschild Hospital that was for the people who fled. And that's how we came to America. And uh, Marianne was uh, a year and a half old. Uh, She was so beautiful. And and, um, we were arriving in America in 1949. And she spoke four languages. She she went to a wonderful <laughs> daycare center and she taught me how to speak English. She brought home a book called Chicken Little. <laughs> and then came Lucky Lucky, Goosey Lucy, Turkey Lurkey. I didn't know one from the other. <laughs> so what, what I'm telling you, that children end up being, maybe we can use the word parentaged. Because my one of my questions, I have two questions. One of the questions is, when did your childhood end? I don't think Marian was ever allowed even to be a child. 
She's the one who showed me about uh, peanut butter. She's the one who um, ended up uh, with tuna fish and all that. She's the one who taught me how to speak English. And that was very, 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 uh, very uh, helpful. And the second question is, which I'd like you to think about, would you like to be married to you? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Marianne, I'm gonna, Mary- I'm gonna just say yes. I'll be I, I'm gonna to go. Me. I'm gonna just be confident. <laughs> right. I might. I might I'm marry. Say yes to Ollie too. I might marry Edith because I, I can't just. <laughs> it's it's just an amazing story. Your resilience and just your the way that you choose to think about things and the way that you chose to continue on and live your life. And we all have that choice. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, they can put you somewhere, but we have free will, our mind. We have the choice to think and believe the things that we want to believe. You know, it's... Edith, you said said suffering is universal, but victimhood is optional. It's amazing. It's amazing, but it took a long time to get there. I, 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 you know, you, you know, when you say 20 years, you, you know, this must have been something that eventually you really worked towards understanding about your life experience. You know, people, uh, yeah, I always say what I lived, but people come to me, I believe, I believe, I believe. I'm not interested in what you believe. I want to know what kind of life you lead. You know, show me. You know, words can be very cheap commodities. And uh, I went back to Auschwitz, actually, because that's where the education I received about the difference between the IQ and the EQ, Mm. that I didn't have time to complain and I don't like it. And no, I don't have to like it. I'm here now. And the question is not why me? The question is, what now? Mm-hmm. And I, I live in a present. I can, uh, I can tell you that I have such joy to being interviewed today. Uh, <laughs> I have a question for Marianne and and Audrey. You know, Marianne, I'll start with you. You know, because you're older. But um, from, I mean, we we all have different perceptions of how these things happen. And what the experience is for you is different than obviously your mother. So being raised by a Holocaust survivor, that moment when you saw that book and realized that your mother was a Holocaust survivor, like what, what, what then became the process of understanding who your mom is, what her life experience has been? What was that like for you? Um, I think that it, it grows and changes. And I don't think that my mother could have done the books that she's done without me and Audrey. I mean, we sat next to her when the um, um, lovely man who um, is the producer of our books, let's say, um, he came to San Diego and uh, he found this wonderful uh, um, high school teacher to do the formal writing. And we all sat in my mother's study. And he said to her, you know, Edie, you have a story that you tell everyone about your experiences. But for this, you're going to have to really tell the real story. And my mother looked at us, me and Audrey, and she said, do I have to tell the real story? And I said, no, but then you don't get a book. 
and said, we're going to be right here with you. And so she did. And we heard, and the stories in the first book were stories we had never heard before. And um, so not only did she go through the pain of reliving it, Audrey and I went through the pain of hearing. I mean, I don't know if you remember the story about how the Nazis would put children in the trees and then use them for shooting. And, you know, I mean, it's like, seriously, human beings do these things. But on the other hand, the more that we make sure that people realize, I mean, look what's happening now in the world. You know, I, I don't know what it is about humans that make us so cruel. But um, so anyway, I think the knowing, um, I think I made sure for a long time that it was never part of my story. And then as time went on, um, I became more comfortable with it. And now, of course, Audrey and I both feel that this is a world story that needs to be remembered. And our children and grandchildren um, are, um, I mean, my, um, my daughter's two boys who are um, uh, 10 and 12 now, um, and they make some of my mother's recipes for their class when when they're supposed to make something. And they're, you know, really delicious. And and everyone just loves Gigi. Um, <laughs> Gigi Ditsu is her name, great grandma Ditsu. And, um, you know, and so it just, it, it continues now, I think in a very positive way. Um, I still live with some pain of knowing about her pain. And I feel, the young uh, great-grandson that I have calls me, his name is Hale, and he looks at me and he calls me Gigi Baby because I'm short. He's short too, but that doesn't. So I'm, I'm known as the Gigi Baby, and they like my food. They like my Hungarian food. Oh. One of my best friend's grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. She's... She's passed now. She never spoke about it. She wouldn't, you know, and she kind of would at one, you know, in, in moments and they took everything in, but she really was, diff, you know, like you didn't really want to share her life experience with the Holocaust. Um, I think we owe it to the children. They shouldn't keep secrets. But yeah. uh, if I knew then what I know now, I would have done things very differently. Yeah. My, my parents had tickets to come to America and they never used it. Oh, wow. Audrey's experience was very different. When Audrey was born in Baltimore, you know, we were in Baltimore and I never knew my parents before, even though I guess we were living in this tiny little place and all this. But when we went to El Paso, Texas, um, my father did really well. We had some money, wasn't poor. And, uh, and Audrey had neighbors. And so Audrey had a much more American life, I think, and feeling about life. So, you know, Audrey, you should tell them. Okay. <laughs> I, I do have a voice. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, funny that uh, I'm going to kind of go back to the, the choice. I wasn't actually going to come. 
for this three day, like amazing experience. It was my son that said, mom, you need to go. Cause I really was pretty dissociated with the whole, this was her story, not my story anyway. But luckily I had taken a year of yoga training and my <laughs> adrenals were very strong. Anyway, it was quite <laughs> an experience to sit there for three days and uh, like her uh, dramatizing getting in the boxcar, talking about her father, who we never heard anything about. Uh, she was saying how he gave up in the boxcar. I mean, the detail about our grandparents that I never asked any questions was just amazing. And uh, I, I'd say it's difficult, but I'm so glad I know. Um, that, you know, I know that part of my life and her life that we could share. And, and the big, uh, kind of, uh, aha moment was when I traveled with her to, uh, we were in Amsterdam and they did a ballet, uh, to honor her. And, uh, we were The sitting- prima ballerina got together with a guy and she became me. And the man became Mangala. Mangala. And even the, the movie star that played Mangala came to me and he goes, do you think she'll want to meet me? Because I represent Mangala. Mm-hmm. And I said, of course she'll want to meet you. Anyway, it was this experience that I'll never forget because at the end, the baller, prima ballerina gives, and this was May 4th in Amsterdam. They actually, the city shuts down to remember uh, the World War Two, and they the ballerina gives my mom the flowers. The spotlight comes on, and the entire opera house just uh, collapsed in tears. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here going, "Holy shit! <laughs> this, is, I, this this woman is healing this audience right mm-hmm. here by her vibrancy and her." just being so alive. Memories, memories. And so I was like, well, my life has just changed. And I remember calling Marianne and maybe it's the middle of the night going, oh my God, you're not going to believe this. Well, it's just amazing. And then we, uh, I just became much more open to telling my story because there are a lot of second generation people that are kind of struggling to figure what their story is. And I've been asked to do like, presentations that I've never been asked to do. And so I've been really digging deeper into her, her history and. Yeah, we carry it. You know, it's, it's important to carry on. Sorry, but you guys, you're amazing. My darling, thank you. One of the things you want to remember always that half of you is your mother and half of you is your father. So I hope that you also guide people just to make peace with their parents. Oh, that's interesting. You said that, you know, just, (laughs) I mean, just because our father was not around, you know, and I've come to terms with it and we have somewhat of a relationship, but I've tried to make amends and heal there and forgive, honestly. Yes. It's actually, Forgiveness has nothing to do for you forgiving someone else. You don't have godly powers, but you want to be free. Mm-hmm. What you're carrying with you, 
That's so forgiveness has to do with you. Yeah. Freeing yourself. Yes. What you carry with you and letting go, and you're not in the past fighting and still hating. Yeah. Because while you hate, you're still a prisoner. So have you? Yeah. Do you have forgiveness for all of these people? Of and, and of course, there's no question. Um, revenge just gives you some kind of satisfaction, but I think it's very temporary. I very much push for people to be free. Freedom is no without responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's, it's anarchy. So it's, the sooner you can do that, the freer you become. Give yourself a gift. Yes. It's a gift to give to you. Yes. Yeah. One of the things, Mom, that you often say is that you never forget. You never forget or overcome. I don't know that overcome. I remember when we went to have a root steakhouse here, uh, and I remember seeing cobblestones, and immediately I was taken back when children were spitting at us in Germany as we walked and called us hunda dogs and this, that. And I was feeling so sorry for the children mm. that they were taught mm. how to hate me. Yeah. What about the uh, Costco and the barbed wire? So, so when I go to Costco and see the barbed wire, I immediately have flashbacks. I don't forget or run from the past. Mm. Uh, but I don't set up household there. And uh, I I think it's good to go through the valley of the shadow of the yeah. Adam camp. But is there but is there is there trauma experiences that the mind just blanks and shuts out? I mean, do you have do you have gaps in your memory of things that you have put away? You seem so sharp and your memory is is I, I can't even begin to tell you how impressed I am with how articulate and how sharp your memory is. But are there moments where you have just blocked out? Uh, The past is in the present. Um, I think the way you think can change your life. If you pay attention to your self-dialogue, you find out that if you change your thinking, you can change your your whole life. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to your uh, self-dialogue. It really is very important because it changes your body chemistry. Yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy. We aren't our thoughts. (laughs) They're just thoughts. I want to tell you, I want to tell you how moved I was by the way you lost it. (laughs) I was really, it was, it was incredibly sweet. But I think, I think that we, it's our, it's our duty to carry our, our families, you know, you know, we, it, as especially as daughters, right, to carry our mother's stories. It's really important. Yeah, I was curious what touched you. That, you know, because because the stories, pr- profound stories that can really change, you know, your 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 story, Edith, is 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 can, can be life changing for for a person. They can experience you and your words, and it can change their entire life trajectory of how they see themselves in the world your life experience has seen that 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 people can can be so resilient that we can overcome 
the negative thought patterns and the trauma. I mean, you know, that we can understand it better. And and I also think World War II is just a very specifically emotional war for especially for Jewish people, you know, um, like ourselves. You know, our grandma, there's not that many of us in the world. And they want to try to forget the what we've been through. And and so that is that hits me a lot. Um, I like you to get rid of the word understand. Okay. Or overcome. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I don't, I don't ever uh, forget what happened. I do not overcome. Um, um, it's unresolved grief that comes up here, there, and everywhere. I come to terms with it. I call it my cherished wound. Mm. So don't run from it or fight it. That is important mm-hmm. because. Uh, you want to be a good mother to you, and whatever you do, ask yourself, is it empowering me or depleting me? You know, some things may give you five minutes of pleasure, but then maybe years and years of pain. I think it's good to think about your thinking. Mm. Right. And it's true. So I, I do have a question for you in your circle, which yeah. is much circle that I'm in. But, you know, what What do you think we need to do to bring awareness or to help others? I like, I like to say, I never ask, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. I say, how can I be useful to you? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's the, the story, of course, but it's about the resilience. It's more than just the story. It's about how Edith and you as a family have dealt with it. It's, it's just about sort of changing your mind, making a choice. And that, you know, even someone with a story like yours can make these choices, you know, and it doesn't have to define us. We define ourselves, our thoughts. Exactly. You know, I have a story, but I'm not my story. Right. Exactly. You know, it's, I've, I've been dealing with anxiety and that's sort of how I deal with it. I, I, I have anxiety. I am not, I am not my anxiety, you know, you, you're thinking anxiously. There is no such thing as an anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. I am not a victim. I've been victimized. It's not who I am. It's what was done to me. There is a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. It's very important to pay attention what you're paying attention to. <laughs> because anything that you pay attention to, you reinforce that behavior. Mm-hmm. So you suppose you want to lose weight and you tell me and I tell you what to do, you know, how calories or so on. And then you tell me, I just cannot give up uh, Hungarian chocolate and uh <laughs> And you see, I can't is not in my vocabulary Mm -hmm. because when cannibalism broke out in the place where I was liberated, uh, the movie is called uh, um, which is the movie that I'm referring to. Um, Mm. um, Is it about cannibalism? Karate Kid? 
karate kid? Is that what you're no, talking about? No, no, Dad. Uh, I was actually talking to God what to do because I didn't want to touch human flesh. Mm-hmm. The sound of music. The sound of mm. music is that. And God pointed me to look down. And even then, I had grass to eat. And I remember choosing one blade of grass against the other. So I can't, is not in my vocabulary. I go to a classroom, I run to the blackboard, and I put down I can't, and I take uh, and, and erase the T and the apostrophe, I can't. Why? Because I think I can. Mm. So mm-hmm. are you saying that the cannibalism was something because, every, because you were so hungry that started to happen? People, people unfortunately, resorted to cannibalism in Gunzkirchen, Austria, where I was liberated May 4th, 1945, by the 71st Infantry. And one of the members is now my friend uh, who was who was there when uh, I, when he's the one uh, from the 71st Infantry. Wow. Were there rumors of liberation or did it just happen immediately? Or did you understand that it might be happening soon? Yes. Uh, we, we, we got a can of sardines from the Red Cross and we were told that Roosevelt died. So that's when we were very, very, very hopeful that we're going to be liberated as well. And thank God, thank God, uh, I call it the saints came marching in. Mm-hmm. It was maybe your grandfather or great-grandfather or great-grandmother who may have been a nurse during World War II, I don't know, but they were women and men uh, equally in uniform. And that feeling, how, what was that feeling like? Uh, the feeling was, uh, all I can tell you, that there was no feeling. I was numb, void of feelings. What condition were you in when you were? I was in a, in a, among the dead when I felt my hand was touched. And I looked up, and all I saw was a big leap. So I am telling this to Oprah, and she gets up from her chair, and she says, he, he was black. And sure enough, he was black. And I looked at his eyes, and I want to cry. And, and he was crying. And guess what? He gave me M&M's. So if you come to my house, I give you M&M's with my picture on it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Isn't oh, it? Wow. Wow. Real quick, going back, as Marianne, I wanted to touch upon this just as a child and having to be that teacher to your, to every, to your mother and, you know, English and food and this and the American culture and lifestyle. Was there anything taken away from your childhood? Some, you know what I mean? Do you not, there's no, obviously no regrets, but is there that, that thing that you had to sacrifice for your family? You know, I always feel hurt when my mother talks about what I gave up 
to be their child Mm -hmm. because they were really fun parents. And I felt like it was really fun. And we were doing all these different things and, um, and they were so sweet and kind to me. And I don't, I wouldn't give up my childhood for anything. I mean, you know, I didn't, I mean, if I realized that I was teaching my mother English, it's not a conscious thing. And I think that's pretty cool. You look at all these immigrants under the U.S. I want, I want, to, I, I want to tell you, more. Let, me, let me interrupt, honey. I was invited to a Hanukkah party and the children got up and sang and the hostess asked Marianne, Marianne, would you like to sing a Hanukkah song? She says, yes. She starts in the middle of the room. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Because this Jewish guy became a Baptist minister. So that's what. Imagine how I felt. I'm sorry. I, I just had to. Oh, that is so. I love, I love so to deeply, And I have a great memory of that. Oh, my God. That should, like, be in a movie. That's really uh, funny. Jesus was a Jewish boy. Oh, God. You know, the only, um, when we moved to El Paso, there was another family there who were from, I think, uh, Czechoslovakia or something. And they had a son my age. And I kept thinking to myself, when I grow up, am I going to marry somebody like him? Because we have a similar history. And um, um, and and that that was one of the thoughts I had, was that I knew deep inside that I was different from all these Texans. And even though I learned to ride horses and play very good tennis and all mm-hmm. that, and, you know, and, um, um, I was, all, I mean, I, you know, I had the benefit of being good at a lot of things and being really smart. And so I think, I'm, you know, kids are more concerned about themselves and, um, um, My mother, you see her now, and I'm so proud of her. But when I was growing up, she was shy. And um, but my friends, my you know, my El Paso friends, they just talk about how I love to come to your house. Your mother was always so sweet, and she always wanted to listen to me. And and they have told me now, you know, she listens to me in a way my parents never listened. So I think her ability to connect. Uh, and my father was a sweetheart. He was fun. He loved to travel. And he, he was talk about funny. He had a really funny sense of humor. Mm. And he was a great dancer. So, you know, dance and, and all this stuff. And um, um, uh, uh, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I knew that my family was different than other families. Um, and when my mother went to Auschwitz and she came back, she was truly a different person. Really? I mean, she was a different person. And her story, which she hasn't told you, was that she, you know, she went. Um, and um, she saw a, a man walking who had the uniform on. And she got panicky, like he was one of the men in uniform that she experienced when she was there as an inmate. And then suddenly it hit her that he works here and I can leave and I have an American passport in my wallet. 
And she skipped out. Literally, my father said she literally skipped out. And she used to have this kind of sadness in her eyes always. And it went away. Wow. So that, would, that experience really like just shifted. It was like something happened. It shifted, and- it shifted everything. And, and, and so I became a psychologist long before my mother. Did. My mother didn't finish her education until she was in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And I, took, I went to graduate school at Cornell when I was 20. So, you know, <laughs> smarty pants. It was a difference. And, 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 and so she goes to Auschwitz, you know, she's doing her psychology stuff with the veterans from Vietnam, et cetera. But she goes to Auschwitz and she comes back and she is like, oh my God, I am fully alive. It was, it wow. was astonishingly wonderful. It really was. What were those memories like, Edith, going back there? What would you attribute that to? Is it just a release, realizing that it's over? I think it was, I think that all of the painful memories came back to her, but she also realized that that was then and this is now. Yeah. And she had so much that happened since those days. Yeah. And, and I, and I mean, she and I've talked about it multiple times and, um, um, but but just just the look on her face and the way she just kind of handled and and the confidence that she had speaking to people and it just it just turned everything over. Mm. I know. I mean, it's kind of an incredible thing. So you, so you ask me what my experience is, and you know, um, watching that transition with her. Mm. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is uh, when I was pregnant with our first child, our daughter, and I was three weeks late, thank goodness. And now in those days, they let me go to three weeks. I was and as well. Holly well, was three weeks late too. Is that right? So I was three weeks late for my mother. And um, so I, I called my mother and I said, you're going to be here with the baby's born, right? To help me out. She said, well, you know, I'm working on my PhD and I have a meeting with my advisors and well, I'll try to be there if I can. And I'm thinking, what? Mm-hmm. what? And fortunately, because Lindsay was three weeks late, she went and had her meetings and she could come back and be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, when she's determined. Yeah. Even that her first like our child is not going to stop her. <laughs> I know. That, that sounds like our mother who'd be like, it's the it's the birth of your first grandchild. And she's like, I'm so busy, but right. I'll, I'm going to try. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But they always come through for you, but it's just sort of in their own way. How many grand, how many great grandkids now? I have seven great grandson. Oh, and uh, that's my best revenge to Hitler. <laughs> uh, I don't have time for anything, but uh, you and your mom and your brother can come and visit me here. I hope that will happen. Oh, so, I would love. Where, where are, you? are you? You're in New York, La Jolla. Uh, in La Jolla. La Jolla. You're in San Diego. I would love to to take you up on that. <laughs> we will take you up on that. Or come tonight, and we have veal paprika. <laughs> Perfect. It's just your story is incredible and your spirit is amazing and your resilience is inspirational. And I have an odd last question, and 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 don't, you don't have to answer it, but you know. Given who you are and after having this conversation with you for the last hour or so, were there, did you have 
happy memories? Were there happy memories of your time in Auschwitz? Memories that you will take with you? Many, many happy memories. Especially that we learned to care for each other. Because if you were only for the me, 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 you didn't make it. And we knew exactly that, I knew exactly by looking at someone's face, whether they're going to make it or not. Mm. Even there, and those dire conditions, people were practicing an attitude that turned anxiety into excitement. Mm. And what, what was the excitement? Like, we're going to get out of here. That I'm here now. I'm here now. I'm still in the present. And I, 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 I do the best with what I have rather than uh, uh, anything else. So I think the curiosity is what helped me through mm. more than anything else. Mm. So when a woman tells me that this guy left him, left her, I say, the word that you want to use now, next? Mm. <laughs> next. <laughs> I think I say next, next too often. <laughs> Pick an arrow. Go, go follow that arrow. Next. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so when you leave the house, get dressed. You never know who's going to pick up that tomato next to you mm-hmm. <laughs> and start a conversation. You know, the tomatoes are very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Women are much more uh, pursuing uh, than in the past. You don't have to wait for a man to call okay. you. I think they're both married. Well, that's right. I, I have a, I have a, I, do you feel your mother all the time still? Do you think about her all the time? And do you, do you feel her? My mother is uh, a God. Yeah. A wonderful God. It's, it's in my soul, my spirit. Uh, in Yiddish, we call it your kishke. Yeah. It tells you your kishke. Your kishka will tell you whether it's a good idea or not, whether you should act upon it or not. I think it's very good to pay attention what you're paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Mm. So when you are married, you do two things. You <laughs> give and take and tolerate differences. Yes. I think that's all relationships, too. I know. Kate's going to use this in her relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel that your daughters are so lucky to have you as their mama. I am the lucky one. I am the lucky one. Of course, of course. From your from your girl's perspective, you know, we usually we usually do this thing. I'd actually like to do it with you guys. We do this with siblings. Our last question is usually what is one thing that you would love to emulate about your mother? And then what is one thing you would love to be able to alleviate from her? Um, 
And then maybe, mommy, you can say that to your daughters. One thing that you just love so much about them that you, you know, that that you had. What? Yeah, the one thing that you wish that you could take from them, meaning like the one thing that you love about them that you wish you had for yourself. And then, the, and then the uh, the other, which is that one thing you could alleviate, something that you could take away from them that would make their life better. It's hmm. a deep question. You know, when I was on Larry King, <laughs> he asked me, were there any kind people among the guards? And I told him that one night when we were in a little German village, um, in a community hall. Um, we were told if we leave the premises, we're going to be shot right away. But Magda told me she's so hungry, she would die if I don't get some food. So I didn't listen. So I go outside and I see some carrots next door. Uh, I'm a gymnast, right? So I jump and I steal the carrots. And as I jumped up, I heard the clicking of a gun about three times, and I'm saying to myself, I'm going to die. But there was this eye contact, and uh, I don't know if you had ever a German father, but he looked at me, and he turned around the gun and, uh, and shoved me back. And the following morning he came and he wanted to know who dared to break the rules. So I'm crawling to him. This is April 1945 when the German people are starving and he gives me a little loaf of bread Mm -hmm. and tells me, you must have been hungry last night. I wish I could meet that man because, because he gave me a piece of bread the time when they were starving as well. So there was kindness that was practiced even then, even then. So anyway, um, Larry King wanted me to cook for him Hungarian food and and that uh, somehow. Thank you for sharing that story. That's, that's wow. Oh my God. Just the stories that you must have. I, I, I got to come to La Jolla and just, you know, I know. Talk and um, I, I can do dance. So, I can do a dance too. I can dance for you, Marianne and Audrey. Do you want to maybe? <laughs> so, the thing that I wish my mother didn't have was the guilt that she feels about um, whatever she feels guilt about. Uh, she said, especially around me, which I feel is totally inappropriate, and uh, it makes me. It hurts me to see her have that feeling of, I mean, I think part of who I am, and I like who I am, um, comes from what I had. Really? <laughs> really. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, am, I, am, I, I, I try really hard not to be the obnoxious older sister, but maybe sometimes it <laughs> 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 All the time. And Ollie, Ollie doesn't try hard not to be. He tries hard right. to be. The yeah, oh, yeah it's right. my job. Okay, well, the, the advantage of a sister over a brother, probably. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> and uh, what I feel like I got from my mother is um, 
my mother is an incredibly kind person. And I think people say, and I feel like a kind person. I'm, I'm happiest when I do when there's positive things to do. So I don't know if you know anything about me, but my specialty is child psychology and sports psychology. Mm. So different ends of the spectrum. And, wow. and I love to watch people get better and better and do better at whatever they're doing. And I, and, you know, this is something I think that my mother has embodied and, uh, and I'm glad to have it. Wow. Love that. Amazing. Audrey. Okay. <laughs> That's a hard question, but I think, I think uh, the word is you're never satisfied and that can be negative or positive because I always feel like I always need to be accomplishing something. Um, so that can be positive or negative. Sometimes it's a good kick in the butt. And sometimes it's like, all, enough already. We At 94, do you really need to work every day? <laughs> no, but anyway. <laughs> uh, right. So it's sort of a, it's a dichotomy in a way, you know, like, when can you rest? And, and anyway, I like to play a lot and I also do executive coaching. So I have like very different sides of me and I think that's okay. And I think I would, I wish that she had a little more of the, you know, go play bridge or something or. Right. <laughs> like flip the playful. Like, yeah. Like enjoy like the gifts. I mean, life can be really fun too. But anyway, on the good side, I mm. do never give up regardless of what happens. And, you know, life is up and down. And uh, with her um, gifts, I think it is just like I said in that article, it's in my DNA. It may, you know, things may hurt and be horrible, but I always know I'll find a way out. And uh, and I, I do never give up. And this this is the role model right here. Amazing. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, honey. So, uh, now you have, if you could take one good thing that your daughters have and adopt it as yours, what would that be? Their curiosity and uh, not really living in a past. And then what if could you could take away something that weighs them down or is difficult for them and you could sweep it away for them. Turning shit into fertilizer and plant roses on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was specific. I think that's a great way to end. Oh God. I, mean... <laughs> I I might I, I might just take that quote for myself and run with it. <laughs> <laughs> and turn the bad into good. I love it. Yes. You guys, thank you so much thank for joining you so us. Much. You, my love to your mom, and I hope you'll come and give you a big hug. I know. <laughs> I, I really want to figure that out because I have. I could talk to you for hours and hours. Uh, thank you, guys. This is so great. I really, this was thank really, you. This so really, much fun. and really it also amazing. just really touched me just so deeply on such a such a personal level, and I'm so grateful. So thank you for spending this time with us. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. All right. right. I love you. We'll, we'll see, see you guys soon. soon.
Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Bresnik. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. If you want to show us some love, rate the show and leave us a review. This show is powered by Simplecast. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.